Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of Associated, a podcast dedicated to making venture capital more accessible. Um, and it's another episode that we're recording in lockdown. I have lost count of how many lockdown episodes we are now ranking up. But um, yeah, how are you, Lois? How was your weekend? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I think we've actually done the whole season now from lockdown. So it's a lockdown special. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're probably right. It is a lockdown special. (laughs) Even though it doesn't feel special, I wish I could be outside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. But lockdown might be be lifted this week, right? Today's the day that we heard from government about easing the lockdown restrictions. And even though none of us know what any of it means, we're hopeful. (laughs) Yes, that's the most important thing is being hopeful. But, you know, I would so much rather hear from our guest today than more from Boris Johnson. Uh, (laughs) Lois, would you like to introduce our lovely guest? Yes, we are really excited to be joined by Deepka today, who is an associate at North Zone. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. I hope I can provide more clarity on venture than Boris can on national uh, lockdown restrictions. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you can. I think there's a lot of staying alert involved, isn't there? Right, exactly. Lots of overlap. <laughs> Correct. Um, so I thought we could kick off by maybe you giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself and where you are at the moment and what kind of stuff you're doing in your current role. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I'm, I'm on the investment team at Northstone. Northstone's been around for, I know, 20 plus years now. They originally started in the Nordics. Um, but today we're investing all across Europe and also on the East Coast. We have an office in New York, as well as in London, Stockholm, but we have people spread out um, all over the place. And basically what we're looking for is, and you can have a look at our portfolio and see that it's actually, it's quite sector agnostic. It's anything from B2B, B2C, marketplaces, SaaS, or direct-to-consumer. There's a whole wide range of, of things that we've invested in and look for. But effectively, we're looking for businesses that have a fundamental tech element or something that makes them scalable. Um, whether it's through software or other technology, and that are operating in big markets. We invest out of a 500 million fund, and we obviously aim to return that, uh, which means we're looking for businesses that can capture significant parts of very large markets. That's a nutshell. Yeah, that is in a nutshell. That's really cool. And am I right in saying North Zone is B2B as well as direct-to-consumer? Yeah. So anything, I mean, B2B is also B2C. So from that perspective, we don't rule anything out. And previously, you've had roles that focused more on the consumer side. So what's it been like doing this kind of transfer? Yeah, so before Northern, I was actually at a consumer seed fund called Heartcore Capital that invests throughout Europe at sort of seed stage in the consumer space. Uh, so coming to Northern, it definitely expanded the range of things I'd be looking at. So looking at seed, Series A, but also, again, looking at a whole range of sectors, also in the B2B market. I like that variety. In my career, even when I was working in finance, I was in investment banking, but I was working across five or six different projects at any given time. So I'm used to that. And that's kind of what I like about the role. But I would also say, I think I also naturally lean more towards things that look like consumer in the sense of product-centric companies that delight their end user. And in consumer, that can mean anything from social to entertainment to commerce. And then on the B2B side, it could be things like workplace tools that individual creators or contributors use. I think it's only in recent years that we've really seen that consumerization of B2B, where even the workplace tools are starting to look more like the intuitive, easy to use 
products that we see in our consumer life. So that kind of intersection for me is great. Um, and that's kind of where I like to play. Yeah, that's cool. And from your own portfolio of companies that you've been involved in the investment process for, is there anyone that stands out particularly as exemplifying that for you? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. I think I mean, one company at the moment that I'm spending a bit of time with, and it's quite topical, is Poppin, which we invested in uh, not even you know a year ago. It's, it's sort of started this year, the round was announced. Um, it's a seed company. We invested in a round alongside Excel. And it's an online events platform, which right now is obviously top of mind for a lot of organizations. Um, and there you really see both the use case from you know, major organizations, whether it's tech conferences that need to find a solution that can't just be hosted on any of the existing online platforms. But you're also seeing it from individuals that now can't reach their audience anymore and need tools to continue earning a living, spreading their content and reaching their audiences. So it's it's fun enough, these kind of online platforms, including Hopin, have become a forced intersection between B2C and B2B. Mm. And I guess the current environment in some ways is kind of fortuitous for them because it's an opportunity to prove that flexibility that I would imagine they would market as part of their pitch. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to it, right? On the other hand, it's especially for startups, having to deal with a huge amount of demand can be challenging. You know, overnight things suddenly, it's like someone just flip, flicked the switch and suddenly your, your pipeline increases dramatically. Um, and as a small team, you might not be able to cope with that as well as you'd like to. But yeah, of course, on the other hand, the current situation also offers a huge opportunity in the space. And so before you were at North Zone and before you were at Hardcore, like you mentioned, you were working at an investment bank. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how it, you know, inspired an eagerness for the tech landscape and further than downline in the venture landscape? Yeah, no, sure. So basically, I didn't really know much about venture, what it really was until I moved to London for university. I studied physics at Imperial, where I started to get to know people who were doing things in tech. And obviously, I was using some of the venture-backed consumer platforms, but I just I didn't really understand what the financing side of it meant until I got a job in banking, where I basically I worked in the investment banking divisions, focusing mainly on tech and media companies, which is where I got the bug for the sector and also the exposure to it. I was working with much bigger companies, Vodafone or Sky here in the UK, but also, you know, with different types of players like private equity and growth funds who are looking to either acquire companies or, or sell them. And we also did like a bunch of work outside just financing about competitive landscapes. And I realized actually there was a, a whole host of new types of companies that were biting at the heels of some of the companies we were advising. I thought that's much more interesting. It seems much more dynamic. And I started thinking about how I could be a part of that and not just be a, either a typical banker or, you know, go down the private equity route, which didn't feel that exciting to me or didn't, it didn't tick that box. Um, and that's kind of where I discovered venture. And yeah, then at that point, basically started doing more research, looking into who are, who are backing these types of companies, what is happening in the sectors that I was interested in, and what could I learn from the outside? I think as many people will realize after digging into it, venture is actually a pretty small industry. It's not like every fund is hiring, you know, five people every year on a regular schedule as with, you know, with some more mature companies or even in private equity, for example, which have a much faster hiring velocity. So I did think I was making life hard for myself, but I got a lucky break um, and got my first job in venture at Hardcore. And then I just went from there. Awesome. And, and how did you find out about Hardcore? 
Awkward. That job came through a recruiter, actually, which is I personally thought that'd be the last place um, or the last avenue, but it did happen. So it's definitely worth not discounting um, some of those routes into venture as well. Got it. Yeah, no, I mean, I got mentored through a recruiter as well. And so and, and I had the exact same impression. And I actually remember saying, no, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't, I'm fine. And then the next day I was like, oh, actually, you know, a 30 minute chat doesn't hurt. Yeah. It um, yeah. Um, okay, cool. And then in terms of, I guess, like transferable skill sets, I find that quite interesting. Like aside from being able to analyze companies in the TMT space, did you feel like you had other skills or like work habits that you were able to apply very easily from banking to benefit you in venture? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely some crossover in the sense of what, what banking taught me for the, you know, the, the three years I was there. It just makes you sort of professionalize really quick. You figure out how to organize yourself, how to juggle multiple projects and also multiple stakeholders. It gives you the stamina to work the hours. I, I was working the stereotypical 80 to 100 hours a week. Obviously, in venture, I don't, it's not the same type of work, but actually the work in venture in, in some ways, it's almost limitless. You could always be looking at more companies. You could always be doing another deep dive. So it does give you sort of the tolerance for working hard. And yeah, from an analytical perspective, just really organizing your thoughts, organizing data, where data is available. Because obviously in venture or in private markets, you know, you have to be comfortable or have to start becoming more comfortable with incomplete data. Um, so I think those are, those are just some of the things that I thought were good things to just have in your toolkit of skills that helped me in venture. And conversely, were there a few things that you had to unlearn when you changed industries? Yeah, I mean, what I, what I mentioned about the, the lack of data or the lack of complete data sets, I think that can still feel uncomfortable sometimes, right? Especially when you're used to sort of looking at, I don't know, publicly traded company where every single metric is sliced and diced in different ways to then making investment decisions where you maybe don't have full visibility on the company or even you don't necessarily have full visibility on a market if it's a market that's nascent and you know has the potential to develop as a company you're looking at is growing. So those are definitely some of the things. And it's also I guess coming out of a more banking and corporate environment into the more collegiate, smaller environments that most venture funds run. It's just being confident in your opinion, being able to voice it, not second guessing yourself all the time, and also feeling you know, taking a bit of ownership over your own views and your opinions. You know, I think investment banks and other big corporates, they are stereotypically very hierarchical. And I think you might get lucky. Certain teams allow you to sort of think differently and voice your opinions. But by and large, they do run on a strict hierarchy. And in venture, you kind of have to, I mean, not completely, but you have to do forget some of that. And um, Deepka, how are you personally finding that day-to-day your work's changed as a result of the pandemic? In terms of like how we're, our processes or like the companies. Yeah, I guess a little bit of both, like on a macro level that you personally feel is impacting the industry. But then I'm thinking more personally, like your day-to-day activities of sourcing companies, meeting them for the first time, carrying out due diligence activity. Obviously, we're all working remotely. How does that impact the stuff that you have to do and the quality of it? Yeah, it, again, it's, it's a mixed bag. I think on one hand, in venture, some of the job has changed massively with COVID happening. And some of it hasn't changed at all. Obviously, we're very lucky to be able to continue to do our jobs using our laptops and phones. 
and continue to talk to founders, look at new opportunities. But at the same time, obviously, the last couple of weeks have been really different in the sense that there's been way more portfolio issues, um, whether that's follow-on funding, operational issues to deal with. So it hasn't quite been, you know, sort of business as usual. I think these sort of setups, they can work well, especially now that we're all in the same boat. I think that's a big part of it. We're all having to work remotely. We're all dealing with various levels of lockdown. And that just, it, it keeps the team sort of on one page together. I think also talking to companies, having hybrid remote models can be quite tricky when you've got some people in person, some people remote. So right now we're just doing everything remotely as, as are all the other teams, you know, not having to commute, not having to walk to different offices for different meetings. All of these little things add up in terms of time that for most people, and I'm caveating, like I don't have children I don't have any other caregiving responsibilities. That just translates into more time that I can do work or that I can think about certain things. Um, So that feels like a a productivity gain. On the flip side, whilst I'm used to taking first or second calls with founders on the phone or via video, you know, it's not, that's not something new. That's kind of what we've been doing for a while. It is strange to not fully know what the process looks like when usually if you're really excited about company you'd probably spend a whole day with them, right? You'd have a working session. You would, you know, talk to meet the rest of the team, go around their offices. All of that was just sort of standard. The way that we do work and the way we diligence companies, you know, we now have to translate that into a remote world. And some of that we can replace by video, but obviously where we can't, I think most of us will just have to overcompensate and have to do maybe double the reference calls that we normally would have or spend double the time with the team on video working sessions um on that side you know some of the investment processes might look more inefficient than they would have previously just because people need to spend more time to get comfortable with each other Mm. and have you made any investments since lockdown was implemented i don't think we have in terms of new companies at this point I think we've been, it's probably not too dissimilar to most venture funds, we've definitely looked at a lot of processes where we've met the team before, sort of, you know, companies we've been tracking for a long time, where we've met the people or, you know, spent some time getting familiar with the business. And those are definitely deals that we were very close to doing and would have been happy doing to a certain extent. But I can't say we've done a full start to finish remote deal just yet. Yeah, which is not necessarily out of the ordinary, right? It's only been what are we on, six weeks of lockdown? Yeah, it's not that we're ideologically opposed to doing a fully remote team. I think if we're really excited about a team or a product, we would love to. But it just it hasn't happened yet for a variety of different reasons. Yeah, sure. And the bar to get VC funding in usual circumstances is high. I wonder if these circumstances just raise it a little bit higher. Yeah, I think they, they most likely do. I think people are much clearer on what they don't want to invest in right now. And even the things they do want to theoretically invest in there's just going to be sort of, you know, there's going to be like 10x more scrutiny on businesses that maybe six months ago or a year ago would have had classic, let's say, Series A metrics and would have no problem raising, might now find that their options are are more limited than they would have expected. Mm. Yeah, it does feel like it puts founding teams under the microscope a bit more. It gives investors something really tangible to kind of latch onto and to question them on. And if you're not necessarily happy with the way that they've handled things, it's a useful mechanism for figuring out how founders are handling certain situations. Yeah, I think in some cases it's going to be completely valid and honest feedback. And in other cases, it'll just become another excuse. You know, the way some people just say, oh, it's just not a good fit. It might just become one of those tropes. 
but it's difficult to tell. Also, it's difficult to have full data on this type of stuff, usually because funding or announcement data usually lags by a couple of months. So I think we're not going to understand fully how the investment market all shakes out until probably end of summer. Yeah, I think you're right. There could be kind of negative impacts like that. But on the flip side, I think there could be a lot of positivity that comes out of it if we can continue to use video chat more frequently and maybe if we normalize not hopping on planes every so often you know that's only a good thing for climate change in general yeah i mean i i say this as someone who used to be on a plane at least twice a month i i mean i i would be completely happy if we scaled back some of our business travel and i know probably in venture it's a relatively small pool of people but if that can sort of become more of a cultural shift i agree that would definitely be um be a positive out of all of this and what do you think about pitching via video link? Pros and cons? Uh, I mean, it really has shifted. It's, I guess this whole thing has been a forcing function. Before all of this, I would have said to a founder, like, if you're pitching in, let's say, an IC, just don't do it by video because it's just, there was too much scope for it to not translate well enough. That sort of thin line between someone being wowed or someone just missing the magic or the charisma or the point and it getting lost in sort of a talking head scenario was just too big a risk. And so I almost I always like advised against it. But now again, like I said, we're in this situation where we all have to do it for now anyway. People are forced to deal with it, um, both on the investor side. So you can't use, oh, you know, I didn't quite get it over video. That's not really an excuse anymore because we're all doing everything over video. But yeah, it's hard. It's, it's a slightly different skill set. I'd actually advise to try and rehearse it over video with someone you know. As a founder, I think you're used to pitching to your team, to new hires, to investors. We've always had the luxury of doing it in person. And if you haven't, then that's just a skill that you're going to have to hone if you're fundraising in this environment. And in the same way that we can think about what people pitching might be able to do differently or change behaviours for, I guess there's also thinking about what we can do differently and how we receive pitches that happen over video link. I actually had a question around your observations and founders over this period. Have you seen or, or maybe learned something new about the founders that you, one, work with in your portfolio, but then also that you're meeting virtually during this time? If there's been like a shift, if there's been a shift towards being I don't know, maybe changing like a cost structure or emphasizing operational overhead reduction, like all, all, all these different things that are now kind of in focus because of this pandemic. Um, or even just character attributes that are coming to the surface, you know, like, and, and I'm asking that because we've seen in our portfolio, just like surprises of people who've just become like this, you know, absolute wartime CEO that, mm. you know, otherwise, maybe we would have never seen that side to them. So would love to like hear from you what your view has been. I definitely agree with a lot of what you just mentioned. You see a huge amount of resilience. Um, both from founders, but also other operators and, you know, other people in the ecosystem of having never had to deal with this type of situation, you know, people really rise to the challenge, which is obviously a great thing. It's like, it's obviously, it, it sucks that we've had to go through this or like that they, their teams have had to go through this um, for that to be on display. But yeah, it's been amazing to see how some of the teams have dealt with this. Some of them who have been, you know, really, their businesses have been really impacted by it. It's actually, it's, it's inspiring, even though I feel it's a cheesy word to use. I think that's actually, it's warranted here. And yeah, there's definitely a sense of everyone's gone through their cost structure, right? And figured out 
if you're in a in the privileged position of you need to raise right now, how can you extend your runway by this extra six or 12 months if you have to, right? Um, because we just didn't, especially, I mean, even now we don't really know how this is going to shake out. If it's going to be a 2020 issue or is it going to leak into 2021? So everyone's been doing that. I guess people have, to some extent, no one's taking anything for granted. And I'm not saying that that's what people were doing all the time before, but it's definitely some of the fundamental assumptions in the market have kind of gone away. And that's what people have been resetting their business plans to and have been resetting their their goals, their plans. And that's quite, it's a pretty big deal. So yeah, seeing seeing a lot of sort of re- fundamental rethinking going on on a company level. Um, and then within North Zone internally, I mean, you guys are split super internationally. You know, you, you have your colleagues in New York who were going through a super tough time. And then in Sweden, where... Um, the the approach has been completely different. How have your colleagues fared and what are some like the internal uh, changes that you've made? Like now we have daily stand-ups at Monterey, which I really enjoy and we didn't have before. Yeah, it is strange. We've got full spectrum, right? I guess UK and the US on one end and then Sweden, um, where they seem to be living their best lives right now. I guess the people who are in, I guess, proper lockdown, it's still a little bit, we're struggling with sort of having cabin fever to some extent, um, whereas some of our colleagues who can move around a bit more, life feels a little bit more normal. Although the fact, and also as a, as a company, we would, on a quarterly basis, we would all get together, the full team, like in person. And we were discussing earlier, we just don't know when when's the next time that's going to happen. It's super uncertain. Even though each individual country is on a different path, from an international travel perspective, I think, you know, it's I think the, the picture is potentially more pessimistic. On one hand, it's been nice having everyone remote, if that makes sense. You end up with these sort of little geo clusters, which makes sense because you're, you know, you're focusing on geographically similar things. So the London team will probably spend more time together. The, the Swedish team spends more time together and, and then same for New York. But now there's, there's definitely been more sort of cross office collaboration, um, both in the sense of looking at companies, but also working on deep dives. We've had a, a North End quiz. We've had weekly Friday lunches where everyone dials in sort of like trying to keep a little bit of that team bond together. I think I, I really like the idea of daily stand-ups, but I think the problem is we were a team of like 20 plus people and it was just, it would take ages. <laughs> so, um, but maybe on an office level, that makes a, that, you know, that would be a good idea. And then also just checking the temperature of the team, both in terms of how people are doing, making sure all the channels of communication are open. If anyone needs extra time off or needs more flexibility because they have other responsibilities right now, that's always been a really open conversation. And also how people are feeling about having to go back to the office as and when we can. You know, there's a, there's a bit of a debate of, do we even want to? Or are people actually, do they feel safer just staying wherever they're based if they have sort of a, a decent home office setup? Uh, so it's it's all relatively fluid, but I think the whole team's been trying to just make sure that we're all talking about it and anyone's raising anything, uh, good or bad, as we kind of navigate this time. Yeah, it's really good to hear your perspective on all that because I think, all of us are new enough to VC for this to be our first time facing into a challenging environment like this one. So since we are all going to be old hands soon enough, let's shift our focus to new blood for a second. For people who are looking to get into VC then, what is the situation with hiring at Northstone right now? At Northstone, we're not, as far as I know today anyway, we're not advertising for any investment roles right now. But we do sort of keep a rolling list of people that we come across or me and, you know, in all the different contexts who we think might be an interesting fit as and when we're actively looking for a role. So 
I think in general, in venture, I think a piece of advice would be just just because a fund's not hiring, it, it doesn't mean it's not worth, you know, getting in touch, coming across with something interesting um, that you want to discuss or one of their investments. Some funds are better than others in terms of advertising and what roles they have, but most funds will do it on a more ad hoc basis. Yeah, I think that's stuff we hear quite a lot, but I'm not sure necessarily that people talk about it in such a transparent way as to say that, hey, look, if you do reach out in a cold email or something, then it's not entirely wasted as an endeavor. Like you might get put on a list somewhere, <laughs> which could turn yeah, out no, to be... Not at all. Yeah. I think we're always looking for really interesting people, whether it's for, for Northern as a fund or if it's across our portfolio. And we actually, we recently launched a new website, which has sort of a talent portal where you can see, you know, all the roles that are available on our portfolio. So plenty of opportunity. Oh, that's really cool. Where can people find that? That's just on the, the northzone.com website. You can just scroll through and find it. Great. That's really good. All right. So I think this would be a good place to move into our question time segment. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. This week, we've chosen one from Hamish, who wants to know, Deepka, what do you look for mm-hmm. most when you meet a founder for the first time? Oh, I think that's, um, that's tough. You could probably write a book on the topic, and I'm sure someone already has. But if I had to single one thing out, it's probably understanding why this person is the person to go after the opportunity. Sort of what makes them uniquely qualified to succeed in this space. And by qualified, I don't necessarily mean you know, university degree or super prestigious job. It could just really mean that they have a unique insight or angle on their specific industry that they got from a certain life experience. Um, And if that becomes clear when I meet someone, um, that's really exciting. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's quite intrinsically linked to the specific business idea that they're pitching you. Yeah. Linked to the idea, you know, that whatever product or service they're trying to build, you know, something that gives them a unique edge in that space Mm, yeah perfect I totally agree with you on that and if people wanted to reach out and chat to you if they've got a business that they think would be of interest where's the best place to find you I would probably say either I mean happy to drop me an email it's literally just at deepka at northstone.com or on twitter okay very good well thank you so much for joining us this has been very enjoyable and a nice little time capsule of where we are at the moment thanks so much for having me and to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to Associated. You can get updates on our latest guests and episodes on Twitter. We are at associated underscore pod. And you can email us if you have questions for upcoming guests or just want to get in touch. We are associatedpodcast at gmail.com. And you can subscribe and leave us a rating or whatever you want to do wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we will see you soon. Bye.